0: If you could make God bleed, people would cease to believe in him. There will be blood in the water. The sharks will come. All I have to do is sit back and watch as the world consumes you. That was my demonstration of doing a better acting job than one actor who's going to come up on the list of the worst cinematic supervillains of all time that we're talking about on today's show. Paul just in this little preview section, do you know where that quote comes from? Do you know who's already one of my list entries? Based I do. On that quote? I do. Go ahead and spoil it for the people.
1: Uh, Iron Man 2. That's right. And the villain? And the villain is, what's his face with the the electric whip? <laughs> Whiplash. Whiplash. Ivan Vanko. Oh my goodness. Where does yeah. he show
0: up on my list? Mm, where is he on your list yeah i'll let you i'll I'll keep the guessing game going
1: okay i i would bet you he's not going to be number one okay i am guessing he is right at number three
0: okay that's my there's a guess there's paul's guess that's right we're talking about the worst cinematic supervillains of all time today and that's because we watched a film new to netflix called thunder force what's the connection between the two find out (laughs) on the other side of this teaser what is up my nerds welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all i'm jake i am paul welcome back inside our crazy brains just adding that unnecessary
1: Chris Traeger pause. <laughs> You're starting to feel a little uh, William Shatner-ish. Maybe Shat, yeah, Welcome Shatner inside our crazy brains,
0: our crazy brains.
1: So, Paul, <laughs> uh, we
0: are we're not we're not even doing technically a hurt so good segment today, and yet it kind of feels <laughs> like today is a hurt so good, like consumed episode because we watched. Netflix's Thunder Force, and spoiler alert, I don't think this is going to be coming, hitting our top 10 list for the year.
1: <laughs> I think that that's probably a good guess. This was a movie that definitely, you know, Netflix has some good stuff, and sometimes it lulls you into a false sense of security that that oftentimes their their high-profile products are going to be pretty good. This one stars... Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. And so you'd think it would be pretty good. It is really not. It is really,
0: really not. You can probably hear guitar strumming in the background. That's my kids, Um, you know, just making some beautiful music for the background of the show. That's totally copyright free. So you're welcome for that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So watching Thunder Force, we're like, hey, maybe this is going to be a little hidden gem like, Eurovision. Right, right. Where, hey, it's dumb, it's stupid, it's all these other things, right? It's got the stars that they're dragging you in, and yet it ends up being a bit of a hidden gem with a sweetheart to it and some great music, Oscar-worthy music, apparently. (laughs) I need to go back and check the tape. I'm pretty sure that I I called that back in that episode, that I said that Husavik or my hometown should be – Oscar nominated. So I'm gonna go back and check that tape, especially if it wins best original song.
1: Yeah, I think um I think it is just your creative memory speaking, but that's all right. Hey. That's all right.
0: What is We're truth? All... We're all you quote the Bible, right? We are... <laughs> I think it's the central thesis of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> that one quote from Pontius <laughs> Pilate.
1: Yeah, the essential quote. That is what the Bible is all about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so uh we're we are going to talk about thunder force and how horrible it was uh but based on how horrible it was we we're like hey we should also talk about the worst cinematic supervillains of all time because that would be more fun just talking about that than rewatching watching thunder force
1: i think that's absolutely true i'm i'm looking forward to that segment i i hate to say this because all of our segments are really good right and yet if we're really honest then i'm they're not necessarily. And I'm looking forward to the, I'm looking forward to the villains talk way more than thunder
0: force. Well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, you're submarining the segment before we even get to it. I know know what's, we can make the talk fun. Even if the movie's not fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ah, It's
0: true. I'm sorry, friends. Paul's Paul's self-sabotaging. Paul, don't do that to yourself. You're an interesting guy. People like to hear what you have to say about bad things.
1: Well, we'll see how interesting it is, and if it if it isn't, then I apologize, and then we can just go on with life. I mean, Melissa McCarthy and Jason
0: Bateman. There's always something to talk about when those two are together, even if it's not good.
1: And <laughs> I've got that's some stuff kind to of the case right here. Yeah. I tell you yeah. what, there,
0: there, that's the that's the real spoiler when we get into that. All the butter and ways you never want to see butter used ever. So, uh, without (laughs) further ado, let's. Before we get to the most least important thing, and before we get to the worst movie supervillains of all time, let's talk
1: about Butter. Butter. Butter and Thunder Force.
0: Thunder Force. I had to say it that way because apparently the, the movie needed to spend like five minutes on how you say the words Thunder Force.
1: It's the only way that you could actually remember the title. It is By one of the most it. generic titles in the world. What does Thunder Force actually mean? It means nothing. It means
0: nothing. It and yet means they dedicate nothing. an entire scene to convincing – like just to saying the word so many times that they're finally convinced it's a good idea, which might sound dumb enough to be funny, except that it really isn't. Yeah. Because there is very little here for anybody to work with in terms of script. And unfortunately, uh, there's not really the acting chops outside of Octavia Spencer who we know has the capabilities. She has the capabilities. Think, I just don't think she cared in this case.
1: Well, here's, here's the interesting thing. And then we should do a recap of what this movie is actually about. You actually have three high-powered, award-winning actresses as part of this thing, right? You've got Octavia Spencer, who won an Academy Award. Melissa McCarthy was nominated for an Academy Award, and she's won a bunch of other things. And then you've got Melissa Leo, who is in the movie as sort of this ancillary character who won for the fighter, I believe, uh several years back. So you've got a lot of hardware, but it doesn't really show up in the movie one little bit. Not, Not in the
0: slightest. Yeah, we've we've got a film here that actually seemed to have kind of an interesting premise. Like, what if the world encountered a situation where a random group of People were hit by this chemical force from outer space and – but that only affected those with psychopathic tendencies and turned them into superheroes. (laughs) And the world had to deal with that. That's actually kind of an interesting premise, right? And could have some really interesting – beyond how fun it could be to watch uh, from a superhero movie perspective, it could have some really interesting social commentary to go along with it because of course people have done research on rulers of history and kind of found out like, Hey, most of those rulers in history, especially the really like good and bad ones that you've heard about had some of these kind of like psychotic tendencies and arrogant narcissism and other things that, boy, this could have been a really interesting film. And yet the description of it, of this happens only psychopaths are given superpowers and some ordinary people try to figure out
1: how to deal with that got completely wasted. Got completely wasted. It was very disappointing. And it, it was what you're talking about right here is something that we may be talking about later on when we talk about our Falcon and the Winter Soldier type of thing, because you do talk, there's, there's this theme that, that, that power can corrupt, Right. So, right. you ne- so you wouldn't even necessarily need corrupt, to have absolutely. Yeah, exactly you. Ha- you wouldn't even necessarily need to have it. You know, land in the in the brains of psychopaths in the bodies of psychopaths. I mean, there may be something that turns you into a psychopath, but and I think that would have been a much more interesting movie. As it is, you just have these psychopathic killers who have these incredible superpowers, and essentially. Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy play these two people who were good friends back in the day. They were good high school friends. They had a little bit of a falling out because Octavia Spencer's character was very, very smart and very determined to succeed. Um, Melissa McCarthy's character was not, as you might imagine. Um, And so they had sort of a split. But there's going to be a, a little, you know, class reunion. And so Melissa McCarthy tries to get Octavia Spencer to attend a class reunion. In the process, she barges into Octavia Spencer's, who's, who, by the way, goes by Emily, uh, Emily's laboratory. And she accidentally gets injected with all this superhero serum that turns her super strong. Um and and so it, it and it takes a little bit of the superpowers that that Emily was supposed to have. She was supposed to be super strong. Instead, Melissa McCarthy becomes super strong. Um, Emily can only become invisible now. So they are sort of bound together as this team of superheroes battling these supervillains, trying to deal with Lamborghini sports cars and. You know, just just doing their shtick. So there you go.
0: Yeah. I mean, even if they had decided to step away from all the interesting premise and social commentary that I, you know, me and my pop culture elitism wanted. They had the premise for what could have been a really interesting film about um, – aging and dreams and goals and reconnecting with lost friends when your lives have taken you separate ways. And you know what that look, what it looks like to be empowered as a middle-aged human being. And um, you know, something that I think some people on this show could resonate with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to name names or anything like that. That would be rude. Uh, but even that they sort of fit, like, I think what really struck me about Thunder Force was how badly it botched almost every interaction between human beings in the film that just did not feel cogent to how to any of almost any of the human beings i've ever met like right. like just none of the way they progress the relationships and the interactions and the human beings in the story are like did did the person who wrote this even know human beings
1: Well, it does make you think of sometimes you had those exercises back in junior high or middle school or whatnot, where you would each write a sentence of a story, right? And then you would pass it on. That's a little like what this felt like sometimes. It was a small circle, like only four or five people writing a sentence at a time. So then it would circle back to a theme that we saw 15, 30 minutes ago, but then it would go on to something else and it felt just really wildly uneven, right. and what you're talking about in terms of in terms of the poignancy that you could have here, the idea of these really normal looking people because that's mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about these these are are normal looking people who are trying to do good. they have these powers. Um, there is a certain resonance and poignancy to that. That was just not developed, and you know that Melissa McCarthy, we she can do that when she's when she feels like it, but she didn't feel like it hardly at all in this movie. And Octavia Spencer, I think, was just wasted, she felt as wooden as I have ever seen her in anything that she's been in, right? I mean, if for for any almost anybody in
0: this film but i think especially jarin with her because of you know the promises there you're like had this been the only movie we saw you in, you, you could forgive somebody for being like that person shouldn't be cast in a film ever again because there was almost zero chemistry emotion connection of any kind and yet i can still i feel like i can come back and blame uh, ben Falcone, the director here, sure. who also happens to be, be Melissa <laughs> McCarthy's husband and the guy who's directed most of the films that people have disliked, Melissa <laughs> McCarthy. Uh, say, yeah, uh, which is interesting. Um, there's probably a whole lot there. But yeah, I mean, it failed on simple levels, like even, you know, motivating, like you said, there was a split in the friendship. Um, was so ridiculous based on they, you know, they do this whole montage where they deepen like these w- girls are like sisters, right. One of them Save the other one from a bully and they just become thicker than thieves and tight like a family. And then one just completely writes off the entire relationship because of an innocent mistake when her friend was trying to help her. Like, right. It wasn't even like a huge mistake, you know, her life turned out just fine. <laughs> even in spite of that mistake, right? And it was like, yes. oh, that's a, and it was well intentioned, and it wasn't even a well intentioned disaster. It was just a well intentioned speed bump, and yet it's like, oh, our whole friendship is over. It's done. And it's done. It's done, and I can never talk to you again.
1: Yeah, and that the the whole friendship vibe. I mean, that was supposed to be the the emotional core of this, right? Right, and it was it, it was again really uneven. I mean, you see. That they're, once they reunite, they're kind of, you know, um, Emily is kind of excited. Not really excited. She's tolerant of the Melissa McCarthy character, Lydia. Um, They deal with each other just fine. And then this accident happens. And you would think that Emily would be really upset. And she is for like 20 seconds. And then it zips on and they become these partners. And then the the relationship sort of sours again and then it gets better again. And there's no real relational payoff. It just, it feels like, it feels like a whole big string of Thanksgiving dinners with relatives that don't necessarily <laughs> see each other very much. And, and so they don't necessarily how to, interact with each other very well. And sometimes it's, it's just conflicted and sometimes they get along fine. And that's fine at Thanksgiving dinners for a movie that I'm spending two hours of my good time to watch. I wanted more.
0: Right. Well, so let's say we forgive it for, let's say we, we move past that and we say, okay, all right. A superhero a comedy, superhero film didn't fully understand human relationships. (laughs) Big shocker there, right? They didn't get a whole lot of emotional payoff. What about the superhero film? What about the supervillain? What about the stakes? And what about, what was it, what was it all about? Why were they, I don't know. No. Did they gave Cannavale <laughs> as a villain. Literally, he's running for the mayor of Chicago. That's our big villain in Thunder Force. Is a guy, and so I was like, at first I was like, okay, smaller scale story here. You know, local. And yet, What does he want to do as the mayor of Chicago? He says he wants to eventually become president. Okay. And then what's he going to do once he becomes president? Darned if we know Paul. (laughs) The movie just leaves it right there. Here's a guy that just wants to become president someday. (laughs) And happens to, to be a little crazy. So we shouldn't let him become mayor.
1: Yeah, his motivation was not great, but I do have to say that ironically, the villains were actually my favorite part of this movie. All of the villains? All of the villains? I Every thought. One.
0: <laughs> See, I thought you were suggesting us doing a terrible supervillains list because of how terrible I felt the villains were, but you're saying you like the villains.
1: I kind of liked the villains. They are they are actually much more entertaining than a lot of the villains we're going to be talking about later. To be Mm. honest with you, I thought, yes, the the king, the king character who likes to be known as the king is a really, really not very well defined character. Right. I mean, he's but I think that that he was played fairly funnily. I I enjoyed his interaction. I enjoyed how he would occasionally kill his henchmen, you know.
0: that was the one place where I was like, okay, I could, if the film had this energy most of the time, this could be a decent, like, this film could be a decent watcher.
1: Yes. yes. Where
0: he's just accidentally whacking henchmen, you know, if he doesn't quite, that he doesn't quite know, but then he's trying to learn their names, but then also murdering them at the same time. <laughs> that's, you know that's the kind of comedic energy I can get behind. I can endorse that.
1: Yeah, I did think that that was pretty funny. Um I thought that that Pom Clementief, is that how you say her last name? I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I say it. <laughs> As Laser, if for those of you who don't remember Pom was actually one of the characters from Guardians of the Galaxy. She was the the meek mantis type of of character. Here she plays an entirely different character and very very psychopathic and i enjoyed seeing that side of the actress you know because she she really did come across as pretty darn evil which i appreciated for me the highlight by far was jason bateman as the crab yes i thought and he was sort of a complex character he was sort of like one of these mcu bad guys who switches over every other movie or so cuz you never know whether he's good or bad um he felt to me, like a really well, (laughs) Jason Bateman, is just funny. He's just funny. And so I really did like almost every scene that he was in. And I think that the thing that made it work for me was the fact that he, you've got this very dry character, this Jason Bateman character who's walking around with these claws for hands, these literal claws for hands, which I, I kind of secretly appreciated.
0: Right, that gets us to the butter,
1: <laughs> you where know, this
0: film gets like the most disturbing, but also it, where it intersects with it being the most interesting. And that you're exactly right, Jason Bateman here sort of plays a bit of a like Michael Bluth once he's sort of gone off the rails in later seasons of Arrested Development. Now, you know, that's not too many spoilers. Arrested <laughs> Development, everybody's going off the rails to varying degrees all the time, um, but like where where he's you know, you can see some good in him and yet there's also this edge to him. And then they're like, let's slap some cartoonishly real fake, (laughs) but slight, just enough realistic claws on his arms and (laughs) give him a backstory where he got like pinched by a radioactive crab in his scrotum. Yeah. Yeah. In the ocean. You're like, okay. You know, again, some of this comedic energy around the villains just, you're like, how did that not get transferred into the heroes and into the rest of the film? Like you see little glimpses of it. Like when his claw gets ripped off and then you see a scene at the end where he's got a tiny little baby claw. You're like, okay, claw. You guys kind of – you got it in these little bits, which kind of makes the rest of this absolute meh fest even more frustrating.
1: It was it was really frustrating. I thought that the scene in the uh in the restaurant, the Lydia and, and the claw actually go out on a date, right? That's this is right. this is also where the butter comes in. But I I really loved it when the uh the waiter came over and suggested they order the seafood platter. You know? <laughs> I I thought, <laughs> just the reaction that, that both Lydia and the Claw had was was not worth the movie but it was at least one little kernel of funniness in an otherwise fairly fairly disappointing film right if you're
0: amused by that kind of thing look up the clip on youtube and you don't need any context to make it amusing (laughs) because it's all in the visuals and in jason bateman's delivery and uh there you go that's all you need you know in that sense it felt like somebody had a good idea for a an SNL sketch. And then this kind of felt except this somehow felt even worse than all those SNL spin off movies where there was like one sketch that people decided to take too far, like with a uh, MacGruber. Right. Yeah. 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 This was almost more aggressively mediocre, but it had a similar energy to me. And that you're like, boy, this might've worked okay as a sketch, but just this little dinner scene. But- yeah. The rest of this is pretty bad. Or even like the 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 convenience store robbery scene. Yeah. You know, that that might have worked, or the bad there's a couple of little scenes in here. Like I could see how this could have been a sketch.
1: Yeah, it it was like they were just trying to make three or four different types of movies. And and I come back to a point that you you'd started this conversation off right at the top. Is the lack of chemistry really between Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy. It it felt At times, I really was checking to see whether they were actually in the same room acting. I was wondering whether there was like some sort of weird COVID thing where you had stand-ins or something like that. Because it just didn't feel... I didn't get the impression for a lot of the movie that they were even seeing each other. And that's probably not the impression that you want the movie to leave you with. Yeah. So it ends up
0: being... A disappointing entry, another disappointing entry in the sort of Netflix originals bucket, which is a bummer because when you find ones like Eurovision, really, all right, all right, that was pretty good. Or, you know what, I mentioned this to Paul, it's not a film, but Archibald's Next Big Thing starring Tony Hale as an animated duck, which, uh, you know, sounds like a, you know, an incredibly promising premise and it (laughs) delivers on it. (laughs) <laughs> you get gems like that and you're just like all right they have the capabilities to crank this kind of stuff out but then it just seems like with people like Adam Sandler and Melissa McCarthy they just have this i don't know this internal draw to some absolute
1: drivel well and one of the things that that i think Netflix has been known for the last 4 or 5 years they are the big players on the block and they really believe that more is better. Mm-hmm. Not better is better, but more is better. So they just give you tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff and just leave you to sort through it, which can be when they have some, so much stuff to sort through, it can be nearly impossible to to find something that is worth your time. That's true. And it's a bummer too, because you know what, as an actor, I kind of like Ben Falcone,
0: the director who's Moses mm-hmm. McCarthy's husband. Like, what not to or what to expect when you're expecting the film that was one of those kind of surprising gems where you're like how are they going to make a movie out of this and it ends up being pretty good and he plays like a, a really funny and you know sweet character in there and you're like he's got promise i just he throws it away when he's directing apparently
1: yeah yeah he even was pretty funny in his one cameo he was a he was one of the um one of the henchmen who dies pretty quickly and he had some pretty funny lines.
0: They're like, let's take somebody who could be pretty good in this and just murder him. (laughs) Right away. Paul, I don't know. I have nothing else to say about Thunder Force because for me, this was, this is getting about four stars out of 10 on, uh, on IMDB. And that feels generous to me, except almost at the same time. It's, it's so media. It's so aggressively mediocre that it just could never, even be fun to watch as a bad film either like i don't even know if this film hurts so good no i don't think so i don't think it can qualify
1: i don't think it does i don't think it does i think that that jason bateman is the highlight of this movie if it had not been for him i think this would probably have been a solid two and a half out of ten for me mm-hmm. i really just did not like this very much yep that's that's about
0: you know Jason Bateman maybe gets it up to that 3.7 but not enough to to justify even a lazy watch. So be warned, you've been warned. If you're out there listening and you're like, "Yeah, but I kind of like it when people talk about, you know, some people are too hard on movies and I end up liking them. Trust me on this one, it's not going to be Thunder Force. <laughs> it's just incompetent. It's not just like I was I didn't find it that funny. It's like it's just truly incompetent. The the motivations, like there's so many little things that like we just couldn't get into because it would be so boring. So don't watch it. That's my official recommendation. I'll say it. Don't watch Thunder Force.
1: Don't watch Thunder Force. Don't let Netflix get away with this crap. Make your mother proud. Don't watch Thunder Force.
0: (laughs) Uh well, so, I, you know, my segue was going to be, hey, we talked about a terrible villain here, and <laughs> I still believe in that segue, so I'm going to say it. Hey, we talked about a terrible villain here, and it's time to talk about the worst cinematic supervillains of all time. Here we are in Rank Geeks. A segment we like to claim is about nerds with poor hygiene talking (laughs) about putting things in numerical order. I I mean that's what we like to call it. You guys probably like to know it as us ranking silly things from – or really important things from pop culture. Like when we definitively place the mantle of world's greatest actor of all time on Brad Pitt's – That is such a No,
1: no, no, no. You guys can look it up. No. You put the mantle, and it was a wrong mantle for you to put. Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Daniel Day Lewis is a
0: fine character actor, deserving of his second place finish.
1: Oh my goodness! Here we are to argue
0: about the worst, a fight for the bottom, something we've managed to argue about in other ways, like when we argued over the worst actors of all time. So, you know, I'm sure Paul, one of the ones on my list, will be Paul's favorite thing ever. Or, you know, like when we were ranking the worst Disney classic animation films and Paul put Robin Hood on his because he's a wrongie. Oh, wrong man,
1: fix. that was such a terrible movie. You know, just you going through this, it's like the greatest hits of how wrong you are.
0: Paul's like, that's right. You keep putting out your jokes, Mr. McJokester. And you keep saying you keep adding MC. Why do we do that? Why do we add Nick to everything? Is that some like racist Irish thing we still hold on to? <laughs> Where we want to insult somebody, we call them like that thing, but just add Mick in front of it, like Jokey McJokester or Wrongy McWrongface. Is that some sort of like anti-Irish racism that's still pervading in our culture? You know what? That's the new segment. Let's (laughs) talk about anti-Irish racism in America. People adding Mick to everything. Anyways, I didn't put – I just want to – as far as I know, I didn't put any Irish people on my list. <laughs> I... I actually might have i now that i say that it's entirely possible that one of these actors is like partially irish so here we go let's let's find out we're talking about the worst movie supervillains of all time so those criteria paul made very clear in his communication supervillains, yeah. and they had to be in movies because i mean really yeah. there could we, we'd have a hard time narrowing it down if we were including other mediums.
1: Well, I tell you, I, I have like whole books on terrible superhero comic book villains. Right. And there are a lot of really fun, bad superhero comic book villains. But I figured that just would get off the rails too much. I figured we'd just stick with movies this time around.
0: Yeah. and And to honor the spirit of Paul's request, I did not include the list that the joker reads off in the lego batman film <laughs> of all of the ones he gets to help him like condiment man <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when they're listing all of those like really z level superheroes and then he's like he sort of has that fourth wall wink he's like yeah it's a real one probably worth the google <laughs> Literally telling the audience, I dare you to fact check the Lego Batman movie, which is like the perfect kind of meta. So I didn't include any of those. I did not include the Condiment King on my list, Paul, just for you.
1: I am glad of that. Although he is a delightful villain. I can even picture him, what he looks like. I am familiar with the Condiment King.
0: Yes, I uh, I am. I, I'm familiar with his Lego version, at least. <laughs> The cinematic version. (laughs) So with that, it's time to get into the bottom approximately 10. We'll see if there's any crossover between our lists. Sometimes that happens.
1: I think this is going to be really interesting. Honestly, I am going to be very interested to see what your list is because I'm sure it's going to be wrong.
0: Probably. I'm, as you know, I'm a wrongy McWrong face.
1: You are a wrongy McWrong that
0: Anti-Irish sentiment. I'm probably Irish somewhere in my bloodline. It's fine. Um, all right. Number five for me, Paul. I'll I'll just kick this off so that you get the grand finale. You get, oh, to, good. Say, you get to say you're number one at the very last. You get to have the last word on this.
1: Uh, well, it's good because I will – my number one is going to be very worth it. Worth very it. Very worth, worth it. Worth it. Number one for me uh,
0: is – Or number five for you? Yeah, you're sorry. Yep, yep, exactly right. Here I was, I'm like, I'm going to give you number one. Uh, let me give you my number one first though.
1: You speed right through the list. You're like,
0: I'm going to give you the, you're going to be the first to say number one when it's time to say number one, but I'm going to say number one when it's time to say number five. So I'm going to beat yeah. you anyways at my own game. Okay, uh, in the spirit of actors that are competent getting stuck in roles and becoming poor at those roles, like we were just talking about with Thunder Force. Uh Oscar Isaac lands at number five on my list for his portrayal of Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse from 2016. Now this one was hard for me to to separate. Was it the was it do I think he's bad because the movie I thought the movie was bad? Or is it because he was bad? I think it was both, honestly. And I'm absolutely shocked that this film has, is sniffing a 7.0 on IMDb because it was some hot garbage. Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as Thunder Force, but it, it wouldn't even get a 5 out of 10 for me.
1: IMDb doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm just going to say it. People who, who who rank things on IMDb, I think many of them just don't know what they're talking about.
0: It's one of four hundred like that's the average from almost four hundred thousand votes. You're like you'd think that on average yeah, on. we'd maybe hold get on. close right yeah no, we didn't um so you know uh apocalypse as a villain from the comics is like one of he's one of the worst of the worst in the x men comics, and with a name like that, that would make sense and yet. The way Oscar Isaac portrays him, the way he is put into this movie is just sort of like, hey, we need a villain. Um, We can use Apocalypse and uh, we'll paint you up and put some armor on you and uh, just phone it in. It'll be fine. Nobody's going to watch this film. It'll be
1: fine. It'll
0: be fine. And like he felt small, even though Apocalypse was supposed to be this – you know, gigantic evil villain. Like he actually felt tiny. I remember people talking about that, about Oscar Isaac being a shorter actor, but it's like, they've been masking that with Tom Cruise for years. And yet somehow he still manages to feel completely underwhelming and uninteresting. Um, And uh, so there you go.
1: Yeah. I have nothing else to say about him. And I think that you hit on something that you are going to find with my list Mm. Is that it is populated by a lot of really good actors. Yeah. Honestly, it, it's sometimes the match between the actor and the character can sometimes be a problem. More often than that, it's the directing that's the problem. Um, but I think that you can make an argument for that for my number five pick, which is Christopher Eccleston mm. as Malekith in For the Dark World. Yep. He was, you know, I think most people would say in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor the Dark World was probably the low point. And we've talked about Thor the Dark World on this show. We have said that, you know, it's still not a bad movie, but just compared to everything that came before, I just, and after, it just wasn't that good. Um one of the reasons why the movie is not very good is because the villain is not very memorable. He just stands around, he glowers a little bit, he um fumes a little bit, he does some aerial gymnastics with Thor. He does his, you know, little weird infinity stone thing that's actually sort of a liquid in this thing and it's just it's just – I he is really, really, really boring right. compared to what we have seen in the MCU. He is by far, by far the worst villain that we see.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, a, an interesting thing for all the ways we talk about how villains can make a film really memorable. I think – Maybe one of the more underrated triumphs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not just how many surprisingly solid villains it had, but also the fact that it overcame a decent number of really bad villains. As and that is a great segue uh, to my number 4. Oh did you have more to say about- No, your-
1: no, 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 no. I'm I'm wondering whether number four, whether I'm wrong with my- Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Paul, you are wrong, but you weren't
0: too far off. Number four on my list is Ivan Whiplash Vonko from Iron Man 2. Though he technically, I just have to say this, he technically shares this distinction with, um, uh, who is, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on his name. I'm pulling it up right now. The other villain- in the film that we get a little bit of just oh yeah Hammer, yeah yeah, well yeah, sam, rockwell. It's sam just that,
1: rockwell was great
0: in that sam was yeah sam actually i thought did a pretty decent job um, even though the film and this is again sort of a bit of a product of these films being a little bit more disappointing with what they ultimately did uh, i mean thor i mean iron man 2 just completely submarined its ending by just powering down right before like the big fight that everybody was waiting for. (laughs) Like that might be, we should maybe at some point do like worst, like uh, endings to films. Iron Man two might be up there for me. Yeah, Um, But Mickey Rourke was just a fascinatingly bad uh, choice in this character. And I think he could have been good. Like I kind of liked his look. I thought Mm -hmm. he looked cool. I actually liked the trailers for this. A little bit, not knowing whiplash from the comics, Um, but there just ends up being no like menace to him in actuality. Like as he's just whipping stuff with electricity and he's not actually very interesting or charming and he doesn't talk much except for that like kind of one quote that I gave you at the very beginning. That's sort of why it's, you know, meaningful and, uh, you know, it's just – and he's all focused on his bird. They're like, you know how villains have these like quirks? We're going to have them focus on this little bird. And yet that becomes the most interesting thing about him rather than
1: any of his villainy. He was a very disappointing character in a way. Um, In in a lot of ways, Mickey Rourke was coming off of his Oscar nominated turn of The Wrestler right after, you know, this was his big, big pop culture follow up. So I think big things were expected because it was sort of a return to to relevance for Mickey Rourke. And he just turned out to be not any easier to get along with in his resurgence than he was before right? He's always had this reputation of being sort of a mess on set. And from what I understand, this was the case in Iron Man 2 as well. Now, if you listen to Mickey Rourke, he will say that that they cut out a lot of his stuff. He had a much more complex character that ended up on the cutting room floor. And maybe that's true, but it was pretty disappointing. I don't want to steal your thunder at all, but I do think that in a way, these Iron Man movies have had some disappointing villains as part of them. You know, when I think of Iron Man three, there was uh, definitely some some letdown when the Mandarin turned out to be, you know, an actor. Yeah, so I
0: I, I that's where the 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 subjectivity comes into play in that I all, I kind of appreciated the audacity of that move. A little bit more than I did with just a complete blandness uh, and not even trying something with Whiplash in Iron Man Two, where it's like at least with the Mandarin they they went for something and it did it was surprising at least to me like and it was pretty funny and I thought it was pretty humorous and so uh, and you know it was really a movie that really ultimately was supposed to be more about Tony Stark himself right than anything else. And so for that reason, I think I forgave that yeah. a little bit more. And again, there was more Ben Kingsley was way better playing that role. Like, even if you didn't like what that villain meant for motivation or whatever else, Ben Kingsley was super entertaining.
1: Yeah. And made yeah. for a
0: pretty fun turn, regardless yeah. of what you think about the like movie decision.
1: And I think and that-
0: that's where whiplash, like the movie decision wasn't good and the performance wasn't good.
1: And so it was just all bad. It was all bad. Yeah, I think that that's true. Um, Number four for me, Hector Hammond from Green Lantern, 2011. It feels like it was like several lifetimes ago that Green Lantern came out. Uh, But it was played by Peter Sarsgaard. And uh, essentially Peter Hammond is this guy. he's, He's Green Lantern's, Um, Arch enemy in a way where Green Lantern can conjure things out of this green willpower, essentially. Um, Hector does it through this yellow fear type of conduit Um, in the movie. His head and I don't know anything about the comic book character, so maybe this is what what happens. But in the movie, his, his head just starts swelling into very embarrassing proportions, mm. and it becomes very awkward. And there's many jokes made about what shape the head is turning into. Um, it, it, the, the whole character just felt like he didn't have any motivation at all. At all, really. He yeah. just felt a little bit... He just felt a little bit sad. To me and that can be a good place for a villain to be but in this way in in this movie it felt sort of sad and pathetic um I, and it, he just he just felt I don't know it just he wasn't a villain that you could you could embrace on any level you couldn't love to hate him you couldn't secretly root for him he was just kind of slimy. And he just wasn't very much fun to watch. And And I think that's the thing about villains. Good villains, they need to be fun to watch. Right.
0: I mean, that's why, um, you know, No Country for Old Men, that like all the best scenes, some of the best scenes in that film are inhabited by the villain because he just chews up the scenery and with his delivery and, you know, the way his menace grows throughout the film is just, you're like, you're completely absorbed in it, even though it's horrific. and. Matt, you're right. Hector Hammond, when you see images, he is truly horrific, and yet manages not to convey any of that through yeah. the film. Yeah, and and is very forgettable. And that ended up for me not everywhere on my list, but you'll see this sort of start to play out later on in my list. Like that forgettableness is is really like a cardinal sin. Uh, I think in these, like at least do something again, the Mandarin do something interesting, find something in the character, even in a bad film, you know, fi in Iron Man three is not a bad film, but even in a like find something in there to have fun with. And you can make a bad villain kind of interesting like the Mandarin.
1: Yeah. I, um, I think the key to, to doing really good villainy is to really enjoy being a villain. And the the Peter Sarsgaard just didn't look like he was having fun. Number three for
0: me is back in the MCU, but uh to Paul's dismay, not Ivan Whiplash Vonko. No, it is Ronan the Destroyer oh guardians of the galaxy most people forget about ronan the destroyer sort of he's in he's very much squarely in there i remember him personally because shortly before guardians of the galaxy came out my wife and i got into a canceled show called uh pushing daisies where the actor lee pace played a very fun character who has this unfortunate power of anything any human he touches can be killed you know by his touch and so he's got to figure out love and life as uh, a baker who can't touch people without killing them <laughs> and and he's very delightful in that role as this you know uh, accursed and you know malign much maligned character and yet ronan the destroyer is right up there amongst the worst and in my opinion the second worst MCU villain out there and that you're
1: wow.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy in the way it talks about Ronan distro- the Destroyer is like oh this guy he just, he just genocides everybody he's a genocidal genocider <laughs> like, this guy's going to be terrible he's going to be the worst and yet not only do they not give him much screen time in Guardians of the Galaxy even the screen time they do give him you're like did they just like smear some blue paint on him And like it doesn't even look as good as the blue man group in terms of (laughs) how they did the look of him. And he's got a hood on and he smashes one dude's head with a hammer and we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, this guy is a genocidal genocider. We get it. And uh, boy, he is wooden. Like every line he delivers, you're like, that's a piece of pine. That's a piece of oak. That's a piece of uh, maple. And even that would be more interesting. Because there's character inside of Wood. Uh, There's no character inside of Lee Pace's delivery as Ronan the Destroyer. And that's so fascinating because Guardians of the Galaxy is such a colorful and energetic film. So for a villain to be unironically completely emotionless and colorless and flat, like, really is weird. You forgive it because the rest of the movie is so much fun. Yeah. But man, he's bad.
1: You know, I almost wonder, as you're talking, I almost wonder, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you say. He was wooden. He was flat. He was very, he was just, Ruh. there he was. I almost wonder if that was by design because they were introducing a, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, nobody knew about it except for maybe three people who would buy their comics every once in a while before before the movie came out. It was a, It was a pretty obscure, relatively speaking, comic the characters are so crazy and over the top on, on the guardians team. And I wonder whether because they were introducing these characters, they wanted those characters to shine and they thought that a more colorful bad guy might actually detract from them. And and one of the reasons why I say this is, is one of the best scenes in the movie was actually the dance off at the end, right? Where, where Chris Pratt, challenges Ronin to a dance-off, you know, for the future of the galaxy or whatever. And um, because Ronan was so wooden, it really worked. It was funnier because of that. And so I kind of wonder whether it was partially by design. Not very memorable. I totally agree. But I wonder whether that made, actually ironically made the movie better. I I considered that. I think it's possible, but I have two things that stick in my
0: mind as far as why I don't think that's the case. Or maybe one of them is why I don't think that's the case and the second is more why even if that was what they were going for, why I think they're wrong. <laughs> and one of those is one of those is the fact that uh I could see that explaining why he didn't get much screen time. But I don't see why that doesn't give you latitude to still imbue some personality into it or on the flip side of that, to put him in more of those situations where with that juxtaposition, which the film doesn't do. It, It tries, it tries to act really serious when you see him all these other times and yet fails to give him any gravitas. And that's where I'm not totally sure that, uh, that it was intentional because I think had that been where they were going with the tone of the rest of the film and how that conclusion goes with the dance off, they could have been giving us little nods to that little quirky one liners, you know, things like that to kind of to play around with that dynamic and have more fun with it rather than just letting every scene with him fall flat. And I think that's why I don't totally buy that. It was a hundred percent on purpose. But two, I think it falls into this fallacy that, like, oh man, we have good things in this film, so we shouldn't put more good things in the film for <laughs> people not enjoying the other good things. I'm like, guess what? If you have more good things in the film, then the film's going to be better. Like, not just their presence, but just in terms of how, like, better acting, better written characters, more, you know, coherent storylines and villains that actually you know matter to the story like that could have made in my opinion the dance the uh, dance off still could have been very funny you still could have had that deadpan versus you know hyper energetic chris pratt dynamic without just letting all of the other scenes with the deadpan like cuz deadpan can be funny like we know that i mean just watch any christopher guest mockumentary deadpan can be hilarious So I'm like, let the water rise for all the boats. That's my, that's what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Number three for me. This was definitely a boat that just sank. Just sank and sank hard. Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face in Batman Forever. Yep. Now... Granted, I would have really liked to have put Jim Carrey on this list as well, because Jim Carrey was super annoying in this particular movie. But I'm going to go with Tommy Lee Jones, because at least Jim Carrey, he was doing his Jim Carrey thing as the Riller, right? He, he was. was manic. He was weird. He was just doing that stick that he does so well. Tommy Lee Jones, he is a really good actor really good. And Two-Face, I think, is one of the best villains in all of batman Dumb that just didn't have, he just didn't have the ability and the interest, quite frankly, to to flesh out the character. Now, granted, I think that that obviously there was not a lot of interest in creating a lot of depth with any of these characters in Batman Forever. This was Definitely before Christopher Nolan's Batman, where you could deal with actual character development. These were all very cartoony characters. But man, was it so disappointing to see one of my very favorite actors. Truly, he he didn't even just phone it in. It was like a little piece of junk mail that he mailed to fans for this particular movie. And it was just really
0: sad. No, that's a great point. He, You could tell he didn't want to be that character. He wasn't willing to let himself go all the way to, be, to have the type of energy that needed to succeed in that version of the film. Not to your point. Now, that is a great film. But Jim Carrey had the energy and the willingness to be completely ridiculous so that even if you're annoyed by his character, even if it wasn't the perfect iteration of that character, which clearly it wasn't, he <laughs> went for it, right? And he did it, and he did his darn, Jim Carrey darndest with it, so much so that I actually did. That was the bright spot of the movie for me. You know, of course, it's I'm squarely in the demographic that loves, you know, was raised to love Jim Carrey, so that tracks with the yeah. nurture part of my personality. <laughs> um, and so, but I, I agree with your point that Tommy Lee Jones can be really, really, really good, and that really, really, really good serious actors can. And do uh, – and have shown their willingness to be completely insane and oh, with ridiculous roles. I mean absolutely. that just brings us back to why Brad Pitt is the greatest actor of all oh time. Oh my because
1: goodness. Because he can
0: do the serious, no. He can do the dramatic. He can no. get the Oscar noms. And yet that no. he can go and be the most completely ridiculously stupid characters. Like uh,
1: Burn After Reading, his character in that, like – you you've seen Burn you me, After Reading. Do you right? want me to leave you alone for a little while? Just to just to do whatever you need to do to <laughs> this is
0: your- now the Brad Pitt <laughs> podcast. The Brad Pitt. But but you've seen Burn After Reading, right? You cannot deny the level of manic, stupid commitment that Brad Pitt brought to his character in that film. Like he absolutely goes for it. It's not and and he's done that in other films. And so Tommy Lee just wasn't willing to go there in Batman forever. And that's what sets, you know, that's why he can't be the goat because he's not willing to do the things. Whereas Brad Pitt can take any character and he'll go for it. Even if it's not the best movie ever, even if it's not the best written character, Brad is going to give all of it every single time to that character. You're my boy, Brad. You're my boy. And, and Paul, that's a great pick. Tommy Lee Jones. Two-Face, Batman Forever, terrible villain.
1: I'm just going to shake my head, sadly. Silence. How does it become always about Brad Pitt? Always about Brad Pitt. Who is is probably an above average actor? And that's about it. So on to number two for you. Definitely editing that out.
0: Number two for, uh, number two for, um, yeah. Number two for me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I'm next. Number two for me is actually the first crossover on our lists. Paul already listed this one and it's the MCU again. And it's Malekith the accursed from Thor, the dark world. Paul, how, how did he land so high on my list? Because to quote you from earlier, utterly forgettable. I honestly could not remember or tell anybody who the villain was in <laughs> Thor The Dark World. Like I would have probably been like, oh, it wasn't Loki like kind of acting up in that one again and just kind of like causing more issues, right? That's kind of the thing in that one. No clue. Zero clue. I could. I think it came up in either our show or in a conversation we had around our show where you were talking about rewatching, yeah, the MCU yeah. films and you got to Thor The Dark World and you were reminded of how bad the villain was. And I was like, I don't even, uh, like, who's the villain? I don't remember who's it. is there a thing? Is there a vill- It's Loki, right? And Paul's like, no, there's, there's a villain and he's got a name and he's the whole thing. And they used the Doctor Who actor. And I was like, I yeah. zero remember... I cannot think of any other MCU villain more forgettable because this is literally the only one I couldn't think of.
1: He was just so bad. And I think that the, the thing about about villains is if you're going to take over the world mm-hmm. or the galaxy, you know, you should make it memorable for your poor little victims, right? I, I sort of got the feeling. Do us a favor. Exactly. Exactly. Make us Make us fear you. Make us hate you. Let's not have you take over the world and just uh, say, wait, did, did you just take over the world? What, what just happened? You're not my king. I didn't elect you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Terrible. It was something like that. Yeah. Ronan the Destroyer. We had a a scene that, you know, Chris Pratt helped save, you know, in the film at the end with the dance off. No such salvation for Malekith the Accursed in Thor, the Dark World. He is utterly forgettable. There's nothing else to say about him because there's nothing else anybody no. remembers.
1: No, it does make you wonder. I mean, Thor The Dark World was one of the, the more mirthless, more mirthless movies from the MCU. And you do sort of wonder whether, what would have happened if Thor from Thor Ragnarok showed up and tried to deal with Malekith, you know? Yeah, maybe
0: they should have gone the opposite direction with Malekith and been like, hey, we're going to make the the rest of the cast so hopelessly dull." <laughs> but the villain can be super, flam, you know, charismatic and flamboyant.
1: All right. So, number 2 for you. Number 2 for me. This might sort of kind of fit into that template that you were just talking about in mm-hmm. a very bad way. I am going to say Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor in mm-hmm. Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. I I just had to put him on here because I found Jesse Eisenberg to be a really annoying Lex Luthor. I was probably a little bit spoiled from Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor back in the old Superman movies. He was a great Lex Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg was just sort of, I don't know. He felt like about three different characters rolled up into one. He had hair for most of the movie. He was really skinny and whiny. And I just, I just didn't like him very much. And here's the topper. I think he was actually way, way more scary and intimidating as, as Mark Zuckerberg in the social network.
0: Yes. I mean, and that's partially because Mark Zuckerberg is one of the world's worst real life supervillains, but he couldn't be on our real list. Uh, very boring as a supervillain, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and yet somehow Jesse Eisenberg made him more interesting than Lex Luthor. No, he he's absolutely in like typical Jesse Eisenberg fashion. He's very petulant. Like whenever Jesse Eisenberg tries to be bad, he just comes off as petulant. I think that's just a Jesse. I don't think he can escape it. He can be mildly likable when they try to make him likable as like a quirky loner who's mildly irritating and so you can kind of love to hate yeah. him even though he's a good guy like in uh, zombie land
1: yeah right
0: yeah. you know where you're like yeah I, i'm kind of like seeing you get chased by zombies he's you know? kind of
1: geeky he's kind of goofy and but you kind of like him right yeah. even if he is a little annoying you're like
0: I, i'm okay with you getting chased by zombies and barely surviving that's about the level i can stand you <laughs> as <laughs> yeah. a as an actor and and so yeah, he comes off as so petulant as this Lex Luthor character. And now I'm using the word too much, and now I don't remember what it means. Um, <laughs> it means childishly sulky or bad-tempered. And uh, yeah, that about sums it up. He's just irritating, not yeah. menacing, and well, not interesting either.
1: And and that really does. And this may have been an acting decision by by Eisenberg, but he the the word petulant because I really do think of him. As just sort of this little spoiled man child who could have stood a spanking or two when he was younger, you know, and Mm. he just needs, I just think he just needs a little tough love. Number one for
0: me comes from a film we've randomly talked about recently. Um, And. You know, based on, I, I am sort of second guessing my own list here because I almost never <laughs> put Malachith number one for just being so completely unmemorable. At least this one, I remember something. But the thing I remember and why she still ended up at number one on my list was because the thing she did was not made fun, like ridiculous and funny because of her, but just because of the directing decision to have her do this thing so number one for me is Enchantress from (laughs) Suicide Squad (laughs) it's like they took all the creepy ashy demonic spirit world demons from you know any run of the mill horror film that you see a trailer for every other week and they're like let's stick her in a Suicide Squad film and have her hula dance her way through the whole thing. She's just going to just do a little little belly thing. And she's going to have zero personality before she gets turned into this. And her eyebrows are going to be bigger than the entire cast combined. <laughs> and there you have it. Enchantress from the Suicide Squad.
1: Yeah, you know, Enchantress was a really, really weird bad guy. and And to be honest with you, she almost made my list. Almost. Ironically... The one who didn't make my list, Joker, Jared Leto, Suicide Squad. Ah, same film.
0: Same film. So I am, actually thought he was the more interesting villain. So it's
1: interesting that we would swap villains here. Yeah, you know, I think Enchantress, she was totally, completely forgettable. I totally agree with you. Although it does seem like when I when I recall the movie, she did have sort of an interesting backstory, I guess, a little bit. You know, before she turned into Enchantress, I found her kind of interesting. Well, that's um, where
0: for me I ended up bumping her up there because I thought the performance was pretty bad. With something kind of like the rest of Suicide Squad. There was promise, there could have been something there. Yeah. And yet the performances weren't good, the writing wasn't good, the script wasn't good, the pacing wasn't good. I found her to be similar like kind of an interesting premise, but very wooden delivery. Yeah. And just didn't do anything with the role and then really couldn't do anything. She couldn't do anything with the human side of the role. And then she really couldn't do anything with the enchantress side of the role. Yeah. And and it was just like remarkably bad on top of that. So it was like, at least with Ronan, the destroyer or Malekith, like, you know, they were bad and wooden on one bad and forgettable on the other. And bad and just completely bananas, forgettable, and yet ridiculous
1: all at the same time. So, Well, and I think that that you do have these villains. You can have a bad villain, a badly played villain, in a good movie and that sort of slightly redeems the performance, right? Sure. The Enchantress had no chance because she was a bad villain in a bad movie.
0: Yeah, a bad, a bad performance and a bad villain for a bad villain in a bad
1: film. Yeah, the the only thing I really remember about Enchantress at all is just her makeup, right? That yeah. that's about it. Jared Leto's Joker, I remember way 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 too much. I found his characterization to be utterly and completely annoying. Which you would think would be an effective bad guy, I guess, because you hate him so much. But I don't think they were going for that hate that I feel for Jared Leto Joker. I just I wanted Batman to break his no kill policy in, in <laughs> when it came to Jared Leto's Joker. I just never ever want to see him on screen again, ever, ever which gets back to our our justice league conversation. Right. The the uh. Snyder cut. It's fascinating
0: the, um because to me, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to shoot straight with you here, Paul. That sounds a whole lot more like your Batman fanboy coming through and and just being like this isn't this this can't be Joker than it actually being that bad because let me present a counter. Oh my goodness. He's no Heath Ledger. I'm going to say that right here. I am not advocating that he is a good supervillain however i thought that his joker combined with uh margot robbie's um harley quinn was actually the most interesting thing in the entire movie like the interplay that they showed mostly through like flashbacks or flash forwards or flash psychoses depending on how you want to that harley quinn had right about the life she wanted and felt like she was and, and his grooming of harley quinn as portrayed inside the suicide squad i actually found to be the most compelling thing and found this this jo- that version of joker to be compellingly creepy in a small way they didn't really get borne out right they kind of wasted that potential But the moments that it was there and we saw those flashes of him being looking you know, being a husband and a loving family man and stuff like that, and then yet then the flashes of his grooming of her and the real world and what he was really doing, I actually thought that was interesting but wasted. And so that's where for me he didn't totally fail and ends up just being a wasted opportunity more so than like the worst of all time.
1: Yeah, so here's what I would say to that. I I think that when you were talking about supervillains, you can have compelling supervillains that sort of break character, right? And you can have supervillains that totally um, just aren't very good. I think back to Jack Nicholson's Joker. Mm -hmm. That was definitely not anything that would have been canonical in any sort of universe that you could possibly imagine but it was super fun it was super creative it really his portrayal of the joker really made the movie jared leto's joker was really super slimy and off-putting not only did it not have much to do with the characters that that we came to to know and I think that you can, you can make an argument, and actually a really strong argument, that, that Joker is probably the greatest supervillain in all of superhero-ness, right? Yeah, strong argument there. Um, he has so many multi-facets to his character um, that, that a good actor, and we've seen this time and time again. You've got Jack Nicholson, you've got, you've got um, Heath Ledger, you've got... um Zach Joaquin Phoenix did an incredible job with Joker. You can find a lot of really interesting characters in this character um, that really differ from, widely, from from actor to actor who's playing him. Jared Leto, he just didn't do it. He just didn't do it. I just, I don't fully agree with you. I think he's partially a
0: product of the bad film. I don't think it was... His performance that was all that bad.
1: Oh, his performance was really all that bad. But to your point, you know, again, this is sort of a a situation that that we could make an argument with for Whiplash, right? Jared Leto says that a lot of his stuff was left on the cutting room floor. My guess is it was left on the cutting room floor because it was really bad. Even worse than the rest of the movie. So that does not bode well. There you go. The worst
0: cinematic supervillains. Of all time. Did you agree with our list? Did you totally disagree with our list? How did you feel about Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad? We love to hear all of your opinions over on the blog or on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I am at AC Paul. But now it's time for the most least important thing. We've arrived at the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours before we usher Paul off into that good night. (laughs) Paul's got stuff to do. And so here we are And the most least important thing, speeding along speedily as one does when they're speeding. So, most least important thing. Paul, I'm going to kick us off because there's a little bit of a tangent for us. All right. Last segment and that mine is Batman related. Okay. And uh, the flip-flopping of Michael Keaton, who had previously noted that he might not join the Flash movie to reprise his role as Batman due to concerns around COVID-19. Paul, he's, he has confirmed that he is officially going to be reprising his role as Batman opposite of Ezra Miller's Barry Allen in The Flash. Michael Keaton is Batman. He's back. And I thought, you know what, that's worth, that's worth celebrating.
1: That is worth celebrating. I, I really do feel like doing a little happy dance now because yeah. I, I tell you, Michael Keaton, he is just, I don't know whether this is just me. He is one of the most likable actors that I see on screen. And he made a really pretty good Batman, you know, he did.
0: pretty solid Batman, great Birdman. Um Great Birdman. I, I think um, you're great, right. Yeah, the,
1: great buzzard. Great vulture, whatever he was for Spider Man. Yeah,
0: and Spider Man, he's kind of been in a lot of different stuff, and I think he is very likable. I, I, that that you know what that would be a heck of a segment, most likable actors yes. and actresses. Yeah. Like I, we've kind of touched on that before in our argument over Tom Hanks. I'd say we do it sometime.
1: Anyway, I think that's a very good idea.
0: Uh, I'm just hoping it. that now that Keaton's back in, that Will Arnett's going to be in because if. They're dealing with the multiverse in this Flash <laughs> movie, so you're gonna have Ben Affleck as Batman. You're gonna have Michael Keaton as Batman. I swear, I swear, if Will Arnett does not show up, I'm I'm walking out of the theater.
1: I tell you what, that would be a hoot. That would be really great. I would I would love to see that. Be great. Fantastic. Yep. All right. Paul, what do you got for us? So that that segment actually makes me a little bit happier. It it lifts my spirit from what I'm going to be bringing to the table. Oh, you're going to bring us right back down. I'm going to bring you right back down. Oh, I should have let
0: Paul go first. This is what I did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, because, see, here's the thing. I learned that Kraft, the company behind Kraft Singles, behind Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. Uh-huh a lot of cheesy related things. The Kraft Heinz Company. <laughs> they actually, to celebrate National Grilled Cheese Day, they were running a sweepstakes where they were going to give people cheese-flavored incense. Cheese-flavored incense. Jake. Well, what kind of cheese flavor? Well, it would be craft cheese, right? Oh, that's the word. American cheese. And as as. Plastic. Plastic foot? Fl- no, I'm telling you. Have you ever taken a whiff of a of a craft single? I have. It's really, it's really nicely odiferous. It's really nice. I, you think I, it's nice, huh? I I love it. I and love. So
0: why is it? Where's the sadness here? Well, for you. Turns out, I get why. For me,
1: National Grilled Cheese Day was on April 13th. Uh. The sweepstakes ran through april 15th Uh i learned about the sweepstakes april 16th oh
0: paul i'm so sorry
1: i am super super bitter that means that the next time you come over to my house jake yeah our house will not smell like cheese and that makes me sad that makes paul sad but me happy so you know what (laughs) i'm still right now on a high
0: Michael Keaton is back as Batman and I don't have to smell crappy plastic cheese at Paul's house. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm very anti-American cheese. Um, I won't get into my feelings on other things Americana, but I just think American cheese is like case in point America. They're like, hey, we're going to make our own cheese and we're going to push it on everybody and you're going to love it. And and then people with taste eat it, and they're like, "This is a pretty garbage cheese." No, 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 like, no, no, no! It's the best. It's the best cheese. It's American. No, we
1: cheese. gotta we gotta rewind here because I used to feel like you did about craft American cheese or just American cheese because it's not really cheese. Let's be honest, it's not cheese, but it really melts well. I <laughs> <laughs> cheese melts the best. It doesn't taste good, but it melts like it, it's so good when you put it. Here's the perfect recipe. You're right. It is our- meltable. So you Great. for a grilled cheese, you know sandwich, what else is meltable? <laughs> wax. Here's what you do. Here's what you do, Jake. Uh-huh. You have two pieces of cheddar or monterey jack. Uh-huh. I'm one out, yeah. piece of very meltable, very tasty American cheese to hold it all together. It makes the perfect grilled cheese sandwich.
0: Perfect. You know, what, you know what's a-, a more meltable uh, a, a cheese that's equally meltable and better flavor? Munster.
1: Oh, I like Munster. Yeah, Munster is really great.
0: Do the Munster in that grilled cheese, and, you know, thank me next time.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Munster, I've, I've had Munster. It's really great.
0: But, and guess what? It also melts.
1: But there's really well. about that tangy, that tangy American cheese. It's food. not tangy. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, Jake. So good.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, there you have it. Never trust Paul's food opinions. <laughs> if you take nothing else away from this episode, just take that. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. Clearly, there's nowhere else to go but down. So, we're going <laughs> to cut it off till the next episode when we've reinflated ourselves and can at least deflate to a low point again, like we do on every episode. That's what we like to do here inflate our egos, deflate them by the end of the show. That's, you know, something like that. I don't know. That's. That's what I'm saying. I just need to stop talking because there's no else. But <laughs> I can't say a single other word that's going to make this thing <laughs> recover from Paul singing the praises of American cheese. So
1: are you um, saying that your ego is sort of melting?
0: It feels like it right now. Out my okay. eyeballs. So without further ado, I'll say sayonara. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. <laughs> Ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Welcome to the show before the show. (laughs) You know, I should start, I should like add this and then find out that like this is the most popular part of our show. And then we just create, we become like, you know, the people who created one thing, but then it was the spinoff that became like Frasier. It'll be our Frasier. Or the Simpsons. The Simpsons was like that. Was, see, I... I'm not a know-it-all in this regard. What did it spin off of?
1: It was just a little tiny part of the Tracy Ullman show when it first started. And then it has lasted a little bit longer than the Tracy Ullman show. Just a little bit longer. Look at that. Look at that.